put the extra reps in, take the extra time, um, be willing to endure longer than the person next to you. Be willing to lead from the front. That's where you're meant to be. Like, I know it. I've never My best self is better than every single person who's going to walk on that platform that Gosh, man, that was, was a moment that changed my life, man. Work harder than everyone else and just keep going. Get up and do it again and again and again. The journey to a better you starts right now. Hey, what's up, guys? Welcome back to another episode of the Better Than Yesterday podcast. I'm your host, Angelo Kelly. On this week's show, I am joined by Cody Leffler. Cody was back on the show a couple months ago. I promised that we would run it back. The episode that we did just didn't turn out great. He was recording outside at a Starbucks, so there was, you know, just traffic rolling by, music in the background. So I wanted to make sure that we did a proper episode. On this one, we got into the history of the Grid League, which I found super fascinating. I've always been a fan of the sport of CrossFit, but not necessarily kept up with it as much as the people who are super into it. So it was cool getting to learn about that. And then we also got into Cody's classification of developmental athletes, which I will let him dive further into on the show. Um, If you're a CrossFit athlete, I think this one's super valuable. Even if you're not, if you're just trying to promote yourself on social media, if you're trying to figure out what you really want to do and how to make money uh, just doing what you're passionate about, I think uh, this one is valuable and you can apply the lessons that Cody gives for CrossFit athletes to yourself. So really hope you guys enjoy this one. Let's shoot it over there now. Yeah, man. So... Did I grid like I didn't know I know um, Marcus Philly was the one who I used to follow back in the day and I think he was in the grid league is it is it now just in Florida yeah so um, to kind of preface maybe some of the stuff we talked about in the summer with what I was doing there um, so funny bring Marcus up so Marcus was on the Phoenix Rise which is the team that my wife and I were both on and we both lived with Marcus um, and this another really awesome lady named Lisa. Um, that was like our house. It was like the four of us and like our two crazy ass dogs. Um, and, uh, you know, if you go back to the early days of the, the you know, it's really just kind of referred to as the pro league. Um, the NPGO or the National Pro Grid League started back in. 2014 really there was a um you know there was kind of an establishment this this uh of the league itself and um it kind of happened in sequence with a lot of like the open season for crossfit so sometime in the winter there was like some rumblings and uh athletes obviously started to pay attention a lot of high profile name athletes were were in the grid league the original one at least for a year so, like, even Matt Fraser was in the grid league. He was uh, on the New York Rhinos, and I think he was, like, their their heavy lifting closer at the time because he had, like, that Olympic weightlifting background. Um, but so, in any case, uh, they announced the league. They kind of talked about what it would be. There were still a lot of questions. And then uh, they started to, like, establish the first group of teams. And I want to say that I, – I, I mean, don't quote me here, but – I want to say that the team from Phoenix, the team that we ended up being on, was uh, maybe one of the first established teams. Um, and they were definitely the first team to sign athletes. And I remember 
I mean, this is going back a little bit, so the youngsters in the CrossFit game might not understand some of these names, but I remember, like, the first athletes signed. Uh, I remember Danny Nichols getting signed uh, by the Phoenix Rise, and I remember never, you know, really hearing about who he was. He was obviously uh, somebody who competed in CrossFit in the Southwest region back then. Uh, but I remember looking up videos um, and seeing, oh, who is this Danny Nichols guy? And just the level of freakish uh ability that he had was as a crossfitter was like what am i looking at so i'll give you an example i I don't think the videos are up anymore but you know so the phoenix rise come out and they sign danny nichols and like we look it up on youtube and we're like who is this guy and he's he's in his gym doing a i'm i cannot make this up it's a uh i might get the reps wrong here but it was either like a 1296 or a 963 um, let's say it was a nine six three, and it was uh, wall balls with an eighty pound D ball. <laughs> Holy shit! Yep, and box jump overs with something in excess of uh, over thirty six inches. So like that was like a workout he had posted on YouTube that he did completely unbroken, and uh, I'm not exaggerating. So again, I don't know if you can find that if it's out there, but that was like my so you know Phoenix Rise is a team. They signed Danny Nichols. I look up Danny Nichols, and then that's what I see, and I'm like, I'm looking at uh you know my training partners who we were all you know games team athletes, and we're looking at each other and we're like, can you do that? You know what I mean? Yeah, like, can we're you never do gonna one? play now. Yeah, like can you do one? You know, and it was like I don't think I can do one wall ball with an 80 pound D ball. And, of course, we just, you know, all go grab the D-ball. And, of course, not a single person can even get it, like, you know, much higher than their head. And here Danny's throwing it to the 10-foot target and <laughs> just doing them unbroken. So um, it, gave you a, a, it gave you a little bit of scope for what the grid league was going to be all about. And, granted, I will tell you that the more that the league panned out, um, the more that a lot of, fam- like I said, famous, famous, uh, crossfitters were also names that were part of that league, but there was a level of specialization that was coming into play. So, um, you know, Danny was on the far exceeding end of specializing in the pro league. And he was probably the best, he was the best closer in the entire league. Um, besides, and this is a really cool segue, besides, uh, on the female side, you had Taylor Stallings who later signed with, uh, you know the DC team was one of the was one of the last teams to get created, I think. Um, and Justin Kotler, who's head of Underdogs, was was their head coach. Um, and Taylor Stallings was the first athlete I think that they signed. And Taylor Stallings is still in the Florida Grid League today. She's a team owner. She's a player. Um, she's with the Orlando Aces, and she's one of the coolest, like most awesome people. Um, you know, they get to meet and, and interact with and a really great team leader and her team did really well this season. So, um, you know, there's definitely still some connections. There's another player in the league uh, who's also a, was a team owner and coach, Jamie Gold. Um, so she was an original pro league player. Uh, that guy I was talking about, Eric Cardona, he was an original player for San Francisco. So there, there happened to be just kind of like a lot of existence from the state of Florida that had some ties. Um and so uh, the original league, you know, had a had a combine process and like four places in the country you could go try out. And then they had a draft and then they had a two or three seasons. Um, and, and I remember, you know, you brought up uh, 
Marcus Philly and he was he's obviously a, a major name now and he's got his own brand with the uh functional bodybuilding stuff and he does some really really awesome stuff I still follow him obviously and talk to him from time to time but um you know so it's just been really cool the grid league was a really cool thing to be a part of as somebody who's kind of a you know just like a no a, a nobody uh but kind of lived through that era and and was uh, a big part of a lot of those scenes so you know had experience at the crossfit games level you know not Dan Bailey, I'm not Rich Froning, but uh, clearly was in the mix with a lot of the athletes back then, and then obviously spent a little bit of time there, and then now segueing to Florida, how the, how it all played out was after about three years, um, the league folded. Had to deal with NBC Sports, you know, I'm not sure of all the ins and out details, um, but it, it, you know, disbanded. And the owners of the team that was based out of Miami, the Miami Surge. Um, so that's a brother and sister combination, Mather and Ruby, uh, well, Mather Wiswall and Ruby George. Um, they, you know, kind of put their heads together with a couple of those uh, individuals like Taylor um, and, and back in 2016 and, you know, kind of pulled a couple of athletes together that were still part of the league because the league was so special. Like, I can't explain it other than just, like, having seen the matches or played in a match. Like, there's just nothing like it. And so anybody that was kind of a part of that, um, you know, at that point in the conversation for those two to be bringing it up, like, should we keep it going? Um, they, they, like, they presented that idea, and people like the Taylor Songs of the world, Jamie Golds of the world, uh, you know, jumped on and were like, we should keep going. So I'm glad they did. Um 2016, they, they start the Florida Grid League, just kind of start it back up in a grassroots uh, way. And um, since then, it's really spun up, and they've done a good job. And I think, uh, you know, they've, they've picked up on a lot, uh, you know, social media-wise. Their um, social channels do incredibly well. Uh, their digital imp- imprint is, uh, you know, something that's that's really taken off for them. And there is a lot of, um, you know, I cannot speak specifically on exact opportunities, but there's a lot of things um, in motion right now that are going to be potential takeoff points for them um, that I think they're starting to see, like, the influence of. So when your, you know, Instagram followership gets, you know, a certain point, you're doing um, millions of impressions on YouTube and TikTok in a given week, um, and you have a lot of... Uh, videos that are going viral because of the the pace of the sport and what we're able to capture in the content um you know those opportunities continue to kind of knock at the door so um there are some really cool things in the works that we hope uh you know take off in the near future um but that's in a nutshell i mean that's like sort of the origin of the sport coming back to the the florida-based sport it's been in existence there in, in the state of florida for six years um and you know, so far it's kind of on an upward, upward trend. And I think it's what I like about it the most is I think it's, uh, I think it's one of the coolest opportunities for athletes, um, that do CrossFit, that do weightlifting, that are strong men, strong women that are, um, specialty based or, or maybe you're somebody that trains in the sport of CrossFit and you want to do that. Um, but you kind of sit on one end of the spectrum. You're more gymnastically gifted or you're more weight, you know, uh, strength gifted. 
um, you might struggle uh, regardless. Like you could have the, the best program, best coach ever. You, you might struggle for a, a longer period of time trying to kind of elbow your way in with the more pure generalist CrossFitters that are going to kind of dominate the sport. Um, but grit is sort of the thing that like as an athlete, it's like the biggest thing you don't know about, you know, and it is just an incredible opportunity to go be a part of a team, uh, be a part of a, a total experience. Um, and the thing that the league, the, the things that the league provides for individuals, both in like media content, um, opportunities for sponsorships. I mean, like it's a, it's really, really taken off and it's, they've, they've laid, um, league ownership has laid the, f- the framework for athletes to be really successful um, in playing grid and sort of work that in synergistically with their CrossFit career, you know? So it's not just this thing where you have to pick one or the other. We actually had Florida grid players at the CrossFit games this year. Oh, that's you know? awesome. So yeah, they, they struck, they, they do take those things into account. They structure the season. Um, and grid's like pretty high octane. So it, it, uh, it demands a lot, but at the same time, you're on a team where your individual demand, you know, may not be quite that of what like a, regular weekend CrossFit competition would take from you. So recovery is really important. You're, you're given a lot to the sport. You're given a lot of output, a lot of speed. Um, but it may be something that it really whoops you and yet, you know, you need a long time to come back from, but it also, you know, it's more likely that you as a teammate are going to be responsible for a, a given percentage of the entire match. And it's usually what you're good at. Yeah. It's usually what you're good at. So like you might have to go in and do the fastest burpees in the world, mm. you know, um, you might have to go in and do, you know, a, a specific gymnastic movement that's really high skill. Let's call it like a back roll to support, you know. But you, you only you only may need to do six of them. Uh, but those six are really important because uh, it's a pivotal point in the match itself. Um, something also that's really cool that the Florida Grid League that they introduced was uh, some this idea that's called a ringer point. So a ringer point is uh, like it's an added race. Uh, inside of each match where you get to uh, you have you have a few to select each match weekend so um, you know we come up with them on the the back end and when we're creating the program we decide which ringers sort of fit in some examples of ringers might be um, a flip sled if you ever seen what that is you know uh, kind of mono mono each team picks an athlete and um, there's a specified time in the match for it and they come out, and it could be male versus female. Uh, we've seen that a couple of times. Um, and at the call of go, they, you know, race down the grid. They flip the sled all the way down. Um, we've seen yoke carries and farmer carries. We've seen legless rope climbs. We've seen burpees over a bar, um, which you think is kind of like silly, but the the rate at which the players can showcase their ability to do that um, is just like insane. You know what I mean? Like you see some of the coolest things. Um, one of my favorite ringer ringer point races this season was uh it's a handstand walk to you know somebody that has to walk on their hands uh to the halfway point uh of the grid so they they move past the line of the second and into the third quadrant and then they have to clean and jerk uh i think it was clean and jerk 305 and then sprint to the finish so you need somebody that can you know walk on their hands pretty quickly get down sprint to a bar clean and jerk at 305 and then sprint to the finish and it's like a foot race. So, uh, man, really, really ex- like exciting race. You need the right person. Um, that's where you get to see both ends of the spectrum. You see, like, 
some of the uh, stronger gymnastic type players. And then also you see some of the like the big boys that uh, just kind of saddle up and, you know, figure out a way to get their body moving upside down for half the half the quadrant and then, um, you know, go out and showcase their skills. So it's really cool. It elicits a lot of emotion. Uh, one of the cool things about grid two is um, inside looking out is like spectators and you see the you see spectators like you would in any other sport. This is kind of what I think it differenti- differentiates it the most from CrossFit outside of the obvious stuff is like these spectators show up and they're they're so captivated because the energy of the sport's too high. You can't you can't sit on a on a uh, at a grid match and not eventually be on the edge of your seat. It's just it's a race and there's a lot of like change of um momentum because there's like so many different demands um and there's so many things that can happen in when when you're trying to transition quickly uh that your strategy comes into play so uh just one of the things i noticed was like the emotional connection of the fan base was that was very similar to that of uh, a regular sports event so you're going to like a football game or a soccer game or basketball game and you see the emotion level of the fans getting high and there's close calls when you're refereeing and uh, sometimes, you know, they're, they're, they're yelling at you. Like, you know, you would think you were like the umpire of the world series or something like, you know, cursing at you from the sidelines. And, um, that stuff's cool. Um, not because they're cursing at you, but because they are obviously super connected to the sport. Yeah. Into it. How long are matches typically? Yeah. So a given match is, uh, about 90 minutes, um, to two hours. Just depends on the structure. We have kind of like an abbreviated structure and then a long structure, um, sometimes we run multiple matches in a given day or weekend. So we'll kind of like taper, um, certain races out depending. Um, but yeah, so you have a 11, excuse me, think of the old league. There's, uh, each match consists of the following race formats. So there's something called Jack and Jill. The next race is called mirror. Then there are the echoes, which is like a two part race. Um, then you have uh, a ladder, you have something called Jack and Jill, you have the triads, and then you have something called Sprint Relay. So technically, it's seven. Um, there's a male triad and female triad, so it's actually like eight. Um, and then the Echo, like I said, is kind of like a back-to-back, so it's technically nine. Um, but yeah, each one of those races is a different... It's a different format the same way that, uh, you know, a given CrossFit workout has a format. So, um, in other words, the first one, partner forward, is always like a guy and a girl working together down the grid, one quadrant at a time. Um, And the elements that they're working on will change from match to match, but the format itself does not change. So, it's always kind of, you know, a couplet of things, to use CrossFit terminology. So, two things in each quadrant, um, and you got to kind of sub in and out you know, zigzag, there's a a hash mark on the side where the player that's not working waits and then they kind of zig in and zig out as they go until all the work is completed. You can sub in and sub out. A lot of teams do that at the halfway point. That's pretty exciting because it's like a big transitional uh, momentum shift. If you can get to the substitution first, it it sets your team up to do pretty well, but but the elements typically get harder. So like things get higher, heavier, um, tougher as you near the the far end of the, the grid. So you need like your stronger athletes or um, higher skill athletes to come in and kind of execute. Um, and then like, again, it just, it's, it's always kind of based around one of the coolest parts of the sport in general, just that 
males and females working together. So the, the mirror race is a always a strength-based event. Um, three females, three males um, facing each other. They might be doing front squats or thrusters or hang squat cleans or whatever. And they're doing a given amount of work in the first quadrant. They don't have to be synchronized, but they got to get all the work done together, and then they move and advance it to the second. And then likewise to the third and the fourth. Um, bar can't touch the ground. Um, echoes are kind of like mixed work where you want specialists. Uh, this year we introduced um, heavy D-ball over a yoke as one of the elements in the echoes. So you have that like same uh, super heavy D-ball, but you have like a male and a female passing that back and forth to each other and a lot of strategy involved in that. Like, um, So it's just cool. We had gymnastic complexes this year like we've never actually had. Uh, they were they were in the grid before. They were kind of two um, unique movements. One was um, if you've ever seen maybe on social media, you've seen people in grid do um, something called a like a, a double touch, which is a toes to bar, chest to bar combination. You may have seen something like yeah, that. Yeah, I'm right? thinking. Yeah, so the double touch was was something we did in the in the in the pro league, right? The original league, um, and a triple touch is a toes to bar chest to bar bar muscle up that all kind of flows with one so you jump up toes connect chest to bar comes around next cycles immediately up into the top of a bar muscle up wow right? that's impressive so this year those we took all of those movements and for one of the one of the races um it was part of a new match format that myself and the commissioner kind of worked on together um this year we added a gymnastic complex where it was a so one rep was toes to bar, double touch, triple touch. So for a rep to count, you had to complete a toes to bar, toe to bar, chest to bar complex, toe to bar, chest to bar, mus bar muscle up complex. So uh, that was pretty sick to see. You know what I mean? And uh, even though that kind of plays slowly, um, we got to see the players like go and alternate male female back and forth through that complex. And you really just have to, you know, use your best strategy because fatigue matters. Um, but it was really cool, man. It was cool to see um, people execute that. And, you know, they the players in the league will continue to kind of rise to the occasion and uh, surprise you a little bit. And these guys uh, and girls stepped up and did a really cool job with the season this year. So it was cool. One of my big problems with CrossFit, and I guess you don't see it at the highest level, but uh, even just in the gym, like, I'm a big fan of specialization. So when somebody's either really strong or really yeah. fast or, you know, can do something better than anybody else can, I think that's super impressive. And CrossFit, you see a lot of people who aren't really great at anything, but they're good at a lot of different things. But I think it's more impressive, like, and I think that's why I gravitated towards weightlifting. It's just, like, watching people who... I mean, you have guys who are 145 pounds who are snatching 140, and nobody at the CrossFit Games is doing 140. So it's like that yeah. to me is what I what I like to see personally. <clears throat> yeah, I uh, like I said, man, I, I think just the I come from sort of the 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 viewpoint that I love CrossFit for what it has created from an opportunity standpoint for uh, human athletic expression. You know, I think that while it can be considered the, the fittest on earth, 
you know, like, sorry, man, I got these yeah, it's bugs all good. in here. Um, the, while it can be considered the fittest on earth, and there's certainly a case to be, be made for that, um, I'm not here to argue that either. It's like, you know, I'm, I'm cool. If CrossFit says it is, then I guess it is. Um, but, again, I think that it's, it's created a major opportunity for, um, you know, so many people to train for something, um, compete in something. And while that is, like you said, I mean, there's so many, there's so many things to look at, like, well, let's look at everybody in the NFL, you know, like, do we think that if we took the pool of NFL players and gave them, you know, some proper CrossFit training, that maybe one of them might be a formidable opponent to, uh, you know, the best CrossFitter on earth, like probably, you know, like, and you could look at that across the board in terms of specialization. So, um, that's not to take away or, you know, add any fuel to that fire. I just think like, again, when there's CrossFit is the sport of, you know, uh, being a jack of all trades and it is, um, important that you know how to suffer. Um, and I think that, you know, that, that has its own place. Um, and I certainly love it. It's what kind of keeps me going. Um, and I think that I get, I'm extremely grateful to work with so many awesome CrossFit athletes. Um, but I can relate to what you're talking about just from a, a specialization standpoint, because I think, um, you know, I don't know. I don't always think it's fair to say like, oh, well, the fittest on earth uh, is just uh, it's CrossFit ism. You know, um, I think there's a lot of places you can look for that, and you go back and really try to evaluate what makes somebody the, the fittest person on earth. But I do think uh, the sport of CrossFit is is really unlike anything that there is, and I think that if nothing else, it's uh, it's a great place for um, people to. Uh, gain experience with the movements and elements that exist inside the sport of fitness, which like you can definitely have like way shittier habits, right? Um, but it's a really cool spot to like learn those things and maybe things you would have never otherwise done. Um, and then have some athletic expression there, or maybe you were somebody who played sports in high school or college and kind of lost that ability. And now it gives you something to do and, um, now there's so many stages that you can, you know, develop to and, and get moved towards. But uh, it's also a place where a lot of people get their kind of feet wet in learning those movements and then find areas of that sport whereby they can go specialize. So, you know, how many people out of CrossFit have moved on to things like triathlons? How many people have done high rocks events? How many people have done weightlifting competitions? How many? So... Um, it definitely opens the door. Um, and I think we're, we're all really lucky to have all of those opportunities. And I think that, um, this is like so random, but along the lines of that, like think of all the companies that have existed, that have been created. Think of all the like small businesses. I'm not just talking about gyms, just like apparel, Mm -hmm. gear, nutrition, supplements. Like when you go really go back and think about, 2007 CrossFit games, you know, and like how far this thing has come from, 
you know, a three event uh, day on the ranch, uh, you know, you got Rogue Fitness. Like, think about the empire that is Rogue Fitness. Rogue is everywhere. Um, and if, you know, Bill Henninger is not as committed and, and trusting in the sport of CrossFit um, to just go start, like, this massive empire equipment uh, extraordinary business out of his garage, um, you know, who knows what type of accessibility uh, athletes would have that eventually lead to, like, greater success and greater growth of the sport. So, like, you know, again, I'm, I know I'm old-timer, but I started in 2011, and, like, half the stuff that you use or that you, like, get for your house or you, um, you know, lift weights with or do, like, gymnastic movements on used to have to be, like, made by you. You know, <laughs> like, there were people with um, – go back and watch, like, the OG CrossFit Nasty Girls videos that were in, um, you know, Greg, Greg Glassman's old gym. And it's like Annie Sakamoto doing muscle-ups on, like, PVC – bent PVC rings because like we just didn't have as much accessibility to those pieces of equipment. So now it's commonplace, you know what I mean? And there's a hundred million, you know, variations of these companies and things that they create. And, um, so I've, I think, I know this is kind of like off the wall, but it, it all connects. I think you've seen that with, um, the athletes, like the, the doors that the sport across with itself has opened. I mean, we owe a lot to it, you know? Um, but then likewise, like the industry, I think there should be like a documentary on the industry that has existed um, just because of CrossFit. Grid League is one of those things, you know, and I think that we, one of the major shifts from the, maybe the pro league to the league that exists now is that there is a, there is an acknowledgement of where our biggest uh, participant and fan base kind of comes from. Um, and maybe, you know, back in the original days, it was more kind of a, uh, at odds, uh, you know, either do CrossFit or do grid, you know, you're either with us or against us kind of thing. Um, and the biggest thing that, that grid had to offer back then was that it was paid, you know? So for a lot of athletes, it was, it was a no brainer because, you know, only the winner was getting paid at the CrossFit games. So, and it probably wasn't much nah, at that point. Nah, I mean, it was way more than any, any of us are, uh, making right now, but it wasn't, uh, to the extent that it is now. And again, like, you know, some of the hottest names in CrossFit, you know, you have somebody like, um, somebody like Daniel Brandon, like the brand rad, um, the shoes right now, like rad shoes are all the rage. And it's like without, you know, without the sport, without the, uh, personalities that exist. I mean, these are, these are sponsored athletes, paid athletes that don't even necessarily have to make money at the competitions. Um, that's not saying that life is uh, all rainbows and butterflies for them, because I think sometimes we jump to that conclusion, but it's not always as cut and dry as that. Um, but it's certainly, the game has certainly changed to the nth degree, uh, because I can remember in 2011, being in the first gym I started in, have a conversation with the owner um, there, and we all used to, you know, we were all school teachers, you know, had full-time jobs. And I remember going over to the gym, um, right after school before the night classes would start and we were doing our training um i think for regionals that year and uh i said like we were just talking about the evolution of the sport in general and he uh 
he brought it up and we were like we were laughing because we were like could you imagine like I mean we just loved it so we love CrossFit so much we love the purity of it um you know it was like full Kool-Aid right back then and I remember him saying something like can you imagine like just getting paid to do CrossFit you know what I mean like we could just do this all the time and just get paid and you know, in my head, I could actually, like I could, like I'm thinking, you know, I'm having grander visions of like Red Bull, like, you know, like the way you see at the X Games and all that type of stuff. But I mean, dude, it's like the the top athletes in the sport are, are just continue to move the needle in that direction. And um, I think it's only going to get, uh, it's only going to get younger. It's only going to going to continue to grow. And I think you're going to see in the years to come, I think you're going to see, um, a lot of build on what's happening now, you're starting to see some of the bigger brands, um, you know, from, from not just like apparel and stuff, but actual like training. So like, like Mayhem Athlete, for example, like is, you know, what I would call kind of like actively recruiting, going out and like signing athletes, which is sort of like a shift in the paradigm a little bit. Like, I feel like that's always existed. Um, recruiting is like nothing new, but it's like bringing it to a front facing type way where it's you know they're they're putting material together about that like we we just got this athlete on our team and um a little bit of like kind of an f1 vibe to it or, or something like that you know like I, I that's how i would kind of um imagine it and i think that some of as as you continue to kind of watch the sport you see like you know rogue invitational like two of the top female performers are um like 17 years old and then there's another one that wasn't there that took second at the games that's like 19 or 20. So um, same things happen on the male side. You're, you're seeing the, the, the competitive age getting lower. Um, and there's probably a sweet spot there. I don't think it's going to like <laughs> go to 13 per- or 12. Perpetuity, yeah. Right. Yeah. But um, it's a big part of what, you know, you know, hopefully we get into at some point today. But um, I, I do think you're going to start to see – companies uh and and brands kind of strategically looking at the landscape of uh where these athletes are developing and like where they're coming from um and starting to pay attention to like younger athletes that are performing at high levels not just at the games but at, at semifinals and um you know even the even the online qualifiers and things like that that are that are going out so social media has made that like pretty easy for companies because like they just obviously can look at what the audience is and what the uh, impressions and engagement are. But, you know, I think like the way that a lot of sports um, evolve and, you know, you could say the same for, for grid a little bit, right? There's probably going to come a stage in the grid league where this is important that, that the teams um, have developmental farm systems for where they source their talent, right? Because eventually it's as volatile as like, well, that's our best gymnast and, he, she, whatever, moved to, you know, Hawaii. So what are we going to do now? Because it's not the Hawaii Grid League or whatever, you know. So obviously the sport will expand, um, you know, the more that it continues to trend. But <clears throat> I guess what I'm saying is um, I think, you know, the future, you start to look ahead three to five to ten years. Um, you start thinking about some of these companies basically becoming, you know, possibly like household with um, – with athlete, uh, identities. So like, again, I mentioned F1 and that could just be a loose concept, but you know, is it possible that 
you know, monster energy would have a team of athletes that it sponsors and they all sort of fall under this umbrella for how they get coached and how they train because somebody like a conglomerate um, company that, that that's like that um, puts money into developing a staff that is dedicated exclusively to developing and building CrossFit games, you know, level athletes and champions because that's, they know that there's a massive conversion there. Do you know what I mean? So it's just like seeing anything. So every time that, um, you know, a Red Bull driver wins a, a cup, then it's like, you know, there's there's probably, I don't know, 15 or 20 guys behind him that you've never heard of that are part of that system um, that are getting uh, guidance and coaching and direction and, you know, all the support that they need from a, a staff that, you know, either is part of the, the uh, vehicle company that they're representing or or the the red bull or the mclaren or or whatever the case so i think i think that's kind of like one way um you could start to see the the sport evolve into more of a professional base so i don't i do think there will always be that community involvement i think like to a certain level of the sport and degree there will always be that aspect because that's what it was built off of um but i think that the more the stakes kind of rise and and companies acknowledge that there is you know opportunity to be seized um i think you know you're, you're already starting to see that a little bit but getting getting kind of involved with um younger athletes that are you know trending in that direction for uh being great um you'll start to see them kind of come aboard and i think mayhem is probably the one doing the most of that right now uh which is pretty cool i had a jujitsu black belt on a couple weeks ago and he was saying a lot of people they get their black belt and then they're like, okay, I'm a black belt. Now I want to go do seminars or now I want to go to other gyms to train. And a lot of people miss the opportunity when you're blue belt, when you're purple belt to build up your brand and for people to know who you are. Do you feel like for the younger athletes who are listening, is this something that you should be doing? Say you're at the quarterfinal level, you're not really a household name or nobody even knows who you are, but should you be doing this? like right now yeah i think it's i think it's an uphill battle i think um you know every everyone who has access to social media and your phone and whatever i mean i think if you're not putting your you know best face forward with that you're probably missing an opportunity but that also we all understand like how difficult that is right if Mm -hmm. it was easy to just kind of you know turn a profit off of a, a follower base then me and you would probably be, you know, <laughs> sitting on a beach somewhere to yeah. doing this podcast. Um, but what I think is, uh, what I think is important to also understand is that there is kind of different degrees of that, right? So we see a, a variation of athletes that are good, um, but their brand is better than they are as an athlete. So that's like one avenue, right? Um, and that could be for a number of things. That could be for a external association, like something that you do with nutrition or some service provision that you have for people that helps people. That could be because of how you look. Um, that could be because of how you present that look. Um, so you're, you see that kind of like, um, and and it is what it is. Like it's, uh, you can have, um, you can be built like a Greek god, you know, and you can garner a ton of followership and not actually be, you know, a games level high performer, but you're still a, a relatively good athlete. Um, or you could be, 
you know, an insanely good athlete that actually made it to the games and people still don't know who you are, you know? Um, and you're just trying your hardest to not make that like a fluke for the next, the next go around. So I think that, um, there, I would, there was probably once upon a time where you could have made the CrossFit games and leveraged that back against like some good brand opportunities. Um, I think it's important to, I think it's important to kind of approach it from both ways. So I'm more of like a purist in this regard. Like, um, I'd rather, I'd rather be on the podium, you know, um, than, than, uh, have, you know, all the, the spoils without it. Um, but that's me talking, you know what I mean? And I'm, I'm, I'm past that point in my personal career where I didn't, I didn't, I also didn't compete in a time period like now where those opportunities really exist in a lot of ways. Um, but I think that as a general rule of thumb, if you're good, um, you know, that, that tends to take care of itself. Uh, so winning sort of solves all the problems. Um, but I would say that for young, younger athletes, I think the thing that, that's, I think the thing that is most important is just, uh, getting under like, like the, the right direction. Um, and that in and of itself is a little bit complex, but I guess in, in short, what I mean by that is like having, uh, having, having good role models, uh, both as, as athletes to be around and coaches is really important because there's so much shit out there, you know what I mean? And, uh, younger athletes, especially. So if we're talking, you know, we'll just say entry level teen age athletes that are 14, 15 coming into like to compete in the sport. Cause that's the, the age demographic where you can start. So 14, 15 up to, you know, whatever, early 20s, like just just really doing your research and paying attention to what um, what's real and what's not. And um, what seems like it is something that might seem like it's the right, you know, approach from a training or coaching standpoint might just be uh, selling yourself short or you might feel like, um you need more from your program or you need more from your, um, you know, the, the getting eyes on you or something. And and I just think that we, I think I mentioned this in, in, in the first go around we were talking about, but like time is the biggest asset that everybody has. So on both ends, right? If you want to build a brand, time's your biggest asset. Um, cause you're, you're good for most athletes. Um, you're, you're going to, that candle's going to burn out. So there are very few in the sport that have really like totally transcended their their competitive prowess. Um, they exist, but there are few uh, CrossFit athletes that have had you know a high level of success and then somehow transcended that out to now I have a million followers, but I don't compete and I don't you know this is what I do for for work. Um, so it's just that 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 game is like uh, low percentage. So if you're banking on, if you're sitting there and you're, you're 16 years old and you're good at CrossFit and you're banking on making the game someday and that being your golden ticket, um, you know, there's a whole host of things that have to go into that for like how that's going to actually have legs and longevity. And I think that that's where an athlete, especially a younger athlete can get mixed up is because we do pay attention so much to what's happening on social media that there's a 14, 15 year old girl out there that thinks they're going to be the next Daniel Brandon. And they very well might be, they might be good enough. They might be uh, capable. Um, 
but if all the other tools aren't in play and they don't have the proper development they don't have the uh, right people that are actually interested in 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 their best interests um people that are actively seeking out opportunities for them and support um you know those things they they become really really difficult so um I think it matters more as you get a little bit older. Like I think it matters more as you start to get into, uh, you know, 18, 19, you're turning a corner, you're out of the teen division and there's more responsibility on how you actually make money so that you can spend your entire day training, you know, because that's a major leverage point for an athlete. If you're, if you're at a certain point, but you can't devote, um, you know, your, your daily existence to multiple training sessions and fueling and resting appropriately. Um, and you have to mix in, you know, an eight hour job into the mix. It, it, uh, it just, it's not that it can't be done. It just takes away from the person who's doing it otherwise. So, um, it's not an excuse for anybody. You know, there's plenty of athletes that, that, that do it that way, but that's what I would think if I, if I was a, if I was a, if I could teleport back and be somehow a teen, uh, athlete, version of myself coming through, uh, you know, CrossFit as it stands now, um, I would really be trying to evaluate the developmental process, um, and what that looks like and making sure that I am building towards, uh, a career that has longevity versus, uh, just trying to be the next thing. And, uh, I don't think there is a ton of uh resources that are doing that specifically but uh you know we can talk about that more kind of as we go yeah and i think anybody who gets started doing something maybe the first opportunity that comes along even if it's somebody a sponsor is going to pay you 250 dollars you're like holy shit this yeah, is the greatest thing ever bucks. Let's yeah go. but it, but it might not be the best for you in the long run and then you might get caught up into thinking like, oh, this is, this is the route I need to go. And then, you know, you have to post Instagram pictures for a certain brand or something that yeah. you don't align with. So I think it, especially like as a sport does evolve, I think the brands that are really want to develop people are going to come out and the brands who are going to be kind of flash in the pan, who yep. think CrossFit's a great way to make money right now, you're, they're going to be exposed eventually. Yeah. Well, and again, I mean, you think about it from the ease of access for a lot of these brands. So you have you know, and again, I, this is not, I don't take anything from this. You, uh, you're an athlete, you're trying to do the best you can. You're trying to get as much resources as you can, but there are, it's probably the, it's probably one of the, I don't want to say it's the only, but it's, it's definitely one of the, uh, one of the sports, or I would say like things you can do out there where, I mean, scroll Instagram for 10 minutes, everybody's got a discount code for something. You know what I mean? And so, like, what that looks like is uh, there are some athletes at the top of that that are actually getting a check for the, you know, uh, promotional, you know, uh, reciprocation that they're they're handing out to their audience. Uh, be that maybe wearing certain clothing or shoes or drinking a certain product, whether they're actually drinking it or not. You know what I mean? It's, this is nothing new. But, um, you know, at the same time, there's tons of companies that are just uh, shelling out. 10, 15, 25% discounts to individuals, um, you know, for them to make a, a share, like share some type of post every week or um, something that, to be honest with you, they don't even have a way of 
monitoring, but it's it's a, it's an easier marketing move for them to put that out there to massive amounts of athletes. So they'll say, hey, can we have ambassadors or whatever? And because you want to be like Danielle Brandon, you know, you take advantage of that, and now um, you're promoting a product that's not actually giving you any type of benefit other than, like, you get a discount on their product, and here you are wearing clothes and telling everybody else about them, but you, you don't even get paid from them. You know, it's like it feels like a sponsor, but it's not a sponsor. And again, I only speak to that because I lived it too. So you're not, you know, I I just think that I don't know if it's at the stage where unless you're at that level, um, somebody's really going to provide you with that type of support or they understand it. But I know for me, like as a coach, what I talk about a lot of times with uh, the athletes that I work with and, and companies when I when I do have opportunities to have those discussions uh, even on behalf of some of the athletes that I work with sometimes, um, I think a good starting point is, you know, establishing what, um, what you're looking for. And I think the biggest thing for, for an athlete right now is, you know, are you going to land some, you know, stipend deal where you're getting paid, you know, a couple thousand dollars a month for somebody like if you have, you know, 3000 followers and you're just a no name athlete, probably not, but, um, something that, I think a lot of companies could get on board with is um, kind of being being supportive for the success that you have. So, one, maybe a partnership of sorts, like I like I just mentioned. Okay, we'll give you a deep discount. You wear our stuff. You post it, whatever. Um, but then, in exchange, I think uh, an athlete could ask them for uh, some type of monetary reward should they need to travel to a national level event you know what i mean so not like you're going to i don't know do a weekend deal out in like new jersey somewhere and like you're partnered with your best friend and it's like whatever and you're gonna drink a beer afterwards i'm talking about you know semi-final yeah or or you made like the elite division at wadapalooza or something and then therefore you know that's going to be reciprocal for that brand or support system to actually you know showcase some of their gear and do those types of things there. So I think a lot of times athletes sort of get left out to dry in that process. And that's, that's just part of the game. I don't have the solution for it either, but I, I, those are the questions that I would be asking. Um, because I think those are the things that make the most sense, right? Like, Hey, um, what's my, what's my, what's my flight cost? You know? All right. My, my flight's going to cost me $400. Um, (laughs) not not anymore. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, one way, you know, (laughs) Um, no, but yeah, yeah Spirit my, Airlines, yeah, and you're, right. you're like on the wing, you got your <laughs> knees up against the guy in front of you, uh, hanging on by the tail, tail fin. Um, but yeah, so maybe I'm, maybe I'm spending six, six fifty on a flight. Like, uh, if a company is able to step up and take care of some of that, I mean, that's like, that's huge, you know? So, um, I think meal companies are fantastic companies to partner with. Uh, because there's an actual, like, there's a value exchange there, right? If I'm an athlete and I don't have to worry about prepping my own meals um, because I have some type of allotment, it may not be every meal that I eat, but maybe a company is going to provide me with a a service that is a meal a day, you know, as part of my orders, right? Like, these are conversations you can have. Like, all right, well, I'm going to order from you every week uh, as part of being, like, a representative of your brand. I'm going to... I get a 25% off discount, but in in addition to that, uh, I get five free meals with every order. Okay, cool. Like that that incentivizes me a little bit, or something like that, right? Mm-hmm. Um, the coolest deal I ever had when I was competing was I had a a full meal sponsorship. So me and my wife both actually 
each got 15 meals a week. It was like, the, you know, back in 2014, I thought it was like, I thought I was like yeah, the coolest in the thing in the world. Yeah, I was yeah. like, I got a sponsorship. Uh, but honestly, from a value standpoint, I mean, that was by far, by far, that was two years. Um, every Thursday, you know what I mean? <laughs> Show up on the door. Um, and it was awesome. So, like, stuff like that was such a help um, to be able to take the thought process out and set you up for success. And there's obviously, like, a monetary value inside of that. Um, I remember a couple of uh, companies, like, um, there was a, there was a uh, supplement company that, that is, I don't know if they no longer exist, but no longer as prevalent. Um, but they, they helped, actually, uh, with me and Emily both getting to the Vegas combine that was part of the original grid process. Um, so I think we got some money from them, um, significant amount of money from them just to cover some expenses and uh jump rope company. So like, again, that, that was like peak, like, you know, uh, career point for me, not just because I was getting a couple hundred bucks from a couple of companies, but because it was at a point where companies were maybe starting to acknowledge athletes in that type of way. Um, and I just think like that was really cool to kind of see that shift because everything prior to that was like, Hey bro, we'll give you a shirt, you know? Um, so that's real cool until, until you're like, all right, well I actually don't have enough money to go to Vegas. So yeah, like, and I have a kid, I'd like, like to get yeah. there. Yeah. 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 So, um, that stuff was cool. That, that for me, like I, I remember thinking about that as like uh, kind of a turn, like a turning point. Like, you know, there was me, I wasn't, uh, I wasn't rich fronting. Um, so just if, if somebody like me was able to, like garner a partnership with a company in that way. And that made sense to them. Um, you know, that, that meant that there were going to be some opportunities for, for athletes, um, to really promote themselves and, and, uh, start making this thing like a little bit more, um, you know, of a, of a positive deal for them that they could, uh, benefit from financially or whatever. So it's, it's cool to see how it's all really spanned. Um, but that's, I mean, that's the type of advice from a, just like, like a branding standpoint in general, that's the type of advice I would be giving to young athletes is don't, you got to do what you got to do, right? You like, if you get any, any opportunities and you feel good about them, then I, obviously you take them. Um, but don't sell yourself short on, um, you know, some of these partnerships and companies. And sometimes you just need the right guidance and uh, people with experience who can help you connect the dots with some of those partnerships. And um, also don't be afraid to, uh, don't be afraid to, to, promote yourself like that was the other thing like it's easier now than ever to reach out to companies uh, and you might you might not just say like hey rad sponsor me that's not how i would approach it um and maybe don't swing for the fences like immediately but you know think about the things you use and um yeah like a gym membership or yeah, yeah, yeah. like you said the meal prep company yeah tape there's companies that that make you know grips and tape and things like that where you know um make it, make it beneficial for them and understand like, you know, that, that from where they stand, it's like, is it, you know, what's a, what's a pair, what's a pair of grips cost, right? Like, I don't even know, like from how they make them, say they sell them for 20 bucks. Like, well, if it means they send you a pair of grips and, um, they end up selling five more because you're in your gym talking about them, like that's, that's a big net positive for them. Mm -hmm. So, um, you know, have, have those conversations. Don't be afraid to to inquire about yourself, um, regardless of, of what your audience is, because it really just comes down to, um, you know, potential factor for a lot of these companies to see the benefit in what you're doing and, um, you know, 
it, the opportunities exist and it only helps you um, leverage more of your time and your energy uh, to be able to put that stuff back into training. So you mentioned developmental athletes and I think one of the best things that CrossFit could have done was come up with the quarterfinals because now so many people feel more involved as it's the top 10% of the open qualify for the quarterfinals. Yep. So how many people is that? A couple thousand <clears throat> at least? A lot. Yeah. So like in the, in the uh, elite division, if you will, or the non age group category, you've got everything from 18 to 34. So that's male, female, 18 to 34 worldwide. So I don't have the exact number off the top of my head. We could look it up, but I mean, it's, it's a lot of people. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's relative. You know what I mean? Like you still have to be good enough to make that. Um, but yeah, so th- I agree with you. I think um, you go back to like 2018 when CrossFit made a pretty radical shift in terms of like how they viewed the, the games and how they viewed the competitive, uh, you know, side of the sport and, uh, they made a lot of like pretty rash decisions that uh, pushed a lot of athletes like kind of away. You know what I mean? Athletes that thought they might have been on the fringe or bubble for regionals or maybe they just thought they were regional athletes and they weren't going to be able to advance further than that. Um, and so like that was a pretty pivotal point for what I'll call the developmental athlete, meaning like really anybody, uh, you know, that sort of falls in the in the big middle. You know, like they're not a games athlete. They're not a, a newbie. Uh, but they're just kind of like they're they're chasing it down, and it really deterred a lot of those individuals. So it was kind of like you went one of two ways. You know, what I mean, you either just like went and did something else, um, or you just kind of hunkered down and you know started training for life. And uh, so something like quarterfinals, uh, I don't think is like a replacement factor for a regional, but it certainly reinvigorates the community involvement to, uh, from, from where I stand, because it does give more people an opportunity to shoot for something, you know? So, um, it's not the easiest thing in the world, but it's certainly not as challenging as qualifying for a sanctional or a semifinal event, um, or things that they've tried to, you know, uh, create in the past. It's, it's probably a lot easier to qualify for quarterfinals than it is to qualify for, you know, Wadapalooza in a given category or something because it's so limited. So if you start thinking about that, they made a couple of good choices with how they structured the Open. So they brought the, the they came back to the Open and said, we're going to do it for three weeks, you know, and they're, they could change that this year, but they're going to do it for three weeks and maybe there's four scores, maybe there's three scores, whatever. We're going to try to get the best test we can um, out of those three weeks. And... Beyond that, you have the quarterfinal level, which I believe is in March. Um, and that's pretty cool because at, at, a, at a pretty large scale, you can look at athletes. And most of them um, that are either working towards making that quarterfinal level or the ones that maybe have now done that um, and are working towards getting you know a higher placement this year or whatever, um, they kind of know like they have to be ready for February, they have to be ready for the Open, but they, they're, they're focusing on March. Um, just like the open, um, and what we've seen from the quarterfinals before, even though it's CrossFit and thus it is sort of unknown, unknowable, there is a level of predictability to those things based on what we've seen, just like what the old regionals used to look like. So, you know, regionals existed forever. Um, and even though like you never knew what the program was going to be for regionals, you had an idea for the types of things you were going to see based on the layout, logistics, you know, and again, that could all change from what we could expect. 
But we now know, uh, based on the past, sort of what types of movements and exercises that CrossFit so far has deemed like quarterfinal level. Um, and so I'm a big fan of that because it really opens the door for athletes to be athletes again um, and to feel like that, you know, you may not ever make a semifinal, but you have something that's really highly competitive uh, that you have to earn that uh, gives you a, like something to shoot for throughout the year, right? And I think that um, I brought up that, that term developmental athlete because really what I'm talking about there in the scope of the CrossFit Games is like anybody that's kind of fringe um, knocking on the door of a quarterfinal all the way up really to games level, you know, so um, somebody, you know, that, that is an athlete that, that's been doing CrossFit, uh, you know, I'll arbitrarily say like a couple of years, you know, but they could be doing it like a couple of months. Uh, everybody's level of talent as they come to the sport will be different, but, you know, they're doing a couple of years. They have competency with mostly everything. Um, they might be, they might actually be able to get through the open and make a quarterfinal without something like a muscle up. You know, like we may not see that in an open level uh, program. We may. Um, but so in any case, like there's there's kind of like a general sense of like if you are a pretty well-rounded CrossFitter um, and you work hard and you train for it, you might be able to make the quarterfinals. So, you know, maybe you haven't made them before and you're kind of on what I'll call that fringe you know, you fall into that developmental category. Somebody that's a quarterfinal athlete absolutely falls into that category. Now, that's going to be a larger pool that you're trying to swim out of um, because making semifinals is going to be extremely, extremely challenging. But like I said a minute ago, there are some tenets to performance that we can sort of predict relative to what you need to kind of break out of that field. And it doesn't mean that you'll ever necessarily do it, but it's you know, kind of a, a list you can go down and in a broad sense say, well, this is roughly the type of weight we need to be lifting. This is roughly the type of gymnastic skills we have to have and, um, you know, both in, in competency and volume and whatever. Um, and you can kind of build work backwards from there uh, with that group. So that quarterfinal group is really important um, to the sport because it's kind of like where everybody cuts their teeth, right? And then up from that, you obviously have semifinals, which as the closer you get to the semifinal, and if you make the semifinal, um, that's where like the specificity of CrossFit uh, really comes into play because you are now really with the best of the best. I mean, there's a very small percentage of that group that's going to advance that next stage. Um, but even at the games level, I said, you know, all the way up to games level because, uh, you know, you, you go back and look at Kim Stanball and what we accomplished last year, um, third place at the games, 55 to 59. Um, but in actuality, like when she came to me five years ago and still to this day, she is very much still developing, um, into being her best. So, you know, it's, it's, uh, I, I, I talk about this, this, uh, group of athletes that sort of fall in the middle or like the developmental athletes or whatever, because I feel like, um, it's such a wide range of athletes that um, there is such an opportunity for, and they are not necessarily, from what I'm seeing, they're not necessarily getting um, the coaching, the attention, the individualization, uh, and, you know, not to beat a dead horse here with the word, but the development um, that they need. And I think that it's, it's 
not really like I don't mean that like it's somebody's fault that they're not, but I think uh, if I go back and look at you know CrossFit pre twenty seventeen or eighteen, just the way you got brought into the sport was like a little different than it is now. And so I think what happens is back then I mentioned this on our on our first go around like um, you know CrossFit gyms is like. I always reference it like it's gangs in New York. Like everybody had their <laughs> everybody had their own brand, and it was like we're better than your gym and this gym. And and even if that wasn't your thought, it was like go here if you want to compete, but don't go here if you you know. So there was like all this like dogma bullshit that was like wrapped inside of that. Um, but everybody was doing CrossFit, and at the end of the day, like certain CrossFit gyms had you know good athletes in them, and that that a lot of times you know drove the population to be more competitive. Um, the community got behind that, and more athletes were attracted to those places. Um, and each gym was really trying to put f- forth like its best um, product, you know, in that in that respect. So, like now, I think that dynamic has changed to where I don't think that doesn't exist. Like, there's still very competitive CrossFit gyms. We see it across the board, but I think that. More so the process for a, a budding athlete is coming into the sport, kind of uh, learning the ropes, getting, um, gaining a little bit of competency and the skills they need. And as they turn that corner where they start to, to take off towards like, well, I, th- I think I want to compete in this. And they sort of have that actualization for the fact that that might be something reality uh, for them there is oftentimes kind of like a loss, like a disconnect for a number of reasons in the gym. So it could be because maybe the, the culture and the owners of that gym or the coaches in that gym don't, don't have the necessary background to, you know, nurture that. Um, it might be that they are more of just kind of a community-based gym and they, their answers for somebody that's um, desiring to be competitive are, you know, here's a generic program and go over there and work on it yourself or work in it or do this small, you know, there's a handful of us are going to meet and we're going to try to, you know, train together and we're going to do, you know, competitive stuff. Like to me that, that, that concept, um, and I'll probably come off like a little bit of an asshole here, but like that concept to me is like bizarre. Like, like, okay, the, the five of us are going to group up over here in the corner and we're going to do competitive CrossFit, in reality, like there's no, there's no like formal proper training plan for each person to be more competitive. They're just picking workouts from a different system and trying to do them more competitively with each other. I mean, like, I guess at the end of the day, like if you're going to take that approach, you're, you're probably better off just all of you guys doing that in the class and just staying competitive. Just going harder. Yeah. And I get it. Like, I get it. You're pulling yourself out of the class because you think that the class isn't competitive, but like what, like just think through that for five seconds. Like what, what is the, what is the real difference other than you think that your programs from Rich Froning, so that's going to make a difference. So like, he didn't write the program. You know, I think I've said that before. Like, like, so if you're doing proven or you're doing mayhem or you're doing whatever, and I'm not just calling them out. They're, they're actually really good programs that I think a lot of athletes starting out, um, can have a lot of success doing. And, and again, if, if, if you're a bubble player on the, the semifinals fringe and you're looking and you're knocking on that door consistently and something like, um, you know, going in and uh, doing something consistently like a mayhem athlete uh, might actually be the, the thing you need to take you to the next level, right? Um, what I'm getting at is, like, the examples of that are probably fewer and further between because 
there's not really consideration for the development. You know what I mean? The program is good, but I think that the, the part that lacks is uh, we're just missing because we're, we're missing opportunities here with these athletes because um, the answer so oftentimes for gyms is either, you know, go over there and work out with some other people who also want to compete. And like somehow that's going to solve all the de- missing developmental problems or, Hey, here's this, here's this program that a guy in Cookville, Tennessee wrote for you. And so that right away means that it's going to answer all your developmental problems and you're still stuck at the same arrival that we were just talking about a minute ago. So like it's for those individuals that are, again, they're falling into this category of developmental athlete for me. Um, it's such a big pool of athletes. And I don't think anyone, it used to, it used to kind of happen at the gyms level more often. And I just think that like, that's the biggest problem that I'm seeing as I look around and the feedback that I'm getting from a lot of athletes that come on board with me is like, that's the big pain point is I'm at it. I'm, I'm at this gym and they have nothing but good things to say about their gym. Um, I started getting more competitive. I started going out to competitions. I decided I need something a little bit more advanced. They're probably right for that. Um, they took the approach of like getting a generic competitor program again, probably a good move for them. Right. Um, and, then they start doing that for a little bit and realize, man, like this, this program is probably a little too much for me. Like I'm, I'm scaling things, right? So wait a second, you want to be competitive as an athlete in the sport, but now all of a sudden overnight you're scaling workouts because you can't do the prescribed competitor program because it's too advanced for the level that you're in because you're not getting developed properly. So like keep working out hard with the other small group of athletes and not developing yourself like it's a missing component and I'm not saying that all has to be done in person I think there's plenty of um you know you can coach somebody remotely and really work them developmentally um but it's not the answer is not just to hand somebody a a a subscription to a competitor track program so uh do I think that can work for some athletes yes but if if you're if you're lacking in uh majority of what is necessary developmentally for you as an athlete, then you're you're gonna still be lacking that whether you're doing mayhem or you're doing proven or you're doing whatever the hottest new, you know, competitor program is, um, because you're just not gonna be an- able to answer that call. If you're somebody that's had great coaching and development, and you're sort of like looking for a change of pace, and you're obviously you know at a at a high point level for what you feel confident about. And you bring one of those programs in as maybe a, a means or an alternative, uh, it might be the catalyst you need to get to the next level because that's sort of the stage you're at, right? So again, I, I preface this with like I'm probably gonna sound like an asshole. What I mean is, it, it's not just about like okay, I think all those programs are shit. That's not what I'm saying. But what I'm saying is that it's it's not apples to apples when you're talking about this wide range pool of uh, athletes that fall in the middle that need development. You know, so I think where I fall in the, in like my sweet spot personally is um, really finding and seeking the, the athletes that fall into that category. So you might be that individual that got through the open, that made quarterfinals, that is now looking at yourself like, what the hell am I going to do when I get to quarterfinals because I don't have a muscle up. And that doesn't mean you're a shit athlete. It means you've got a lot of great tools um, and you need some proper progressions and maybe some eyes on you. Um, and if I'm not going to get, excuse me, if I'm not going to get eyes on you, then we got to make sure that the work is individualized for you to be able to kind of turn whatever you don't have into things that you do have. Um, and that's the biggest missing piece 
um, whether it's on site or it's something more in a, in a remote capability um, that like all of these athletes, so many of these athletes are just missing and they're losing out in the process because as they move from A to Z, it's like the step-by-step process I was just talking about, you know, coming to the gym, get some competency, decide you want to compete, um, go off in the corner with your buddies, go buy one of these generic programs. You think that's the answer. You spend way too much time there because you're just, you know, you're getting a little bit better on the front end because it's more exposure to hard shit. But then all of a sudden you're like, man, I just like, I'm like lost in this deal. And, and, and then like, what now, you know? So, um, the, the answer to that what now for the athletes that are listening to this is finding a coach and finding a personalized approach that's going to help you develop. And, um, like when you think about the numbers of people that fall into that category, it's far, far, far bigger than the category of people that are in the semifinal level that are like dying to get to the games, you know, like, so, um, I just think there's such a need for those athletes to get, uh, help, you know what I mean? In, in that respect. And I think that's like, for me, that's kind of where, um, obviously I've had high levels of success at the CrossFit games now coaching. Um, so there's no doubt that, you know, I think I have the ability to do it at that level. I just think that for me, it's, uh, I'm, I'm passionate about the athletes I get to work with. And so just recently, and this isn't rocket science, but it's just recently that I was starting to put those pieces together where you're paying attention to a lot of the conversations you're hearing from new athletes that are coming on board and new athletes that you get to work with. Um, I just had an athlete camp, uh, last weekend and it was awesome. Just amazing experience, like total success. We had the best group out. It was an awesome day. Um, we learned a ton. We, uh, had a lot of, a lot of fun and, um, you know, likewise, it's just, it's just a lot of similar conversations. So, you know, imagine you have, uh, close to 35 athletes in one building that are all coming from extensive years of CrossFit, you know, athlete training experience that are coming to your camp for set. It's a, you know, seven hour day and they're leaving the day and they're like, I got more in this seven hours than I've gotten in the last seven years, right? And you're like, yeah, I know. You know what I mean? Like, I knew that was going to happen. Like, um, and that's, what that is, is uh, it's attention, it's care, it's uh, a little bit, you know, obviously a little bit of know-how, right? A little bit of experience. Um, But it's taking these guys and putting them back into a place where, they feel like somebody is um, kind of moving them, moving them along in the in the uh, direction that they want to go, rather than sort of feeling like, well, I kind of know what I'm doing, and these other people need more attention than me, and that's that's cool. I'm good with it, so I'll, I'll kind of like just figure it out on my own, and I'm going to lean into, you know, some program to try to help me get there. So, um, yeah, that would just be that's just a, a big part. I uh, I think my my personal mission, my personal message. Um, is that just the longer I do this, the more I realize that there's so much benefit for all these athletes that, you know, have these goals that fall into the, um, you know, you know, fringe, fringe athletes on the quarters, a big portion of the quarterfinal athletes, um, and what could be done for them if they have just a little bit more guided direction, a little bit more guided, uh, programming. Um, and I think so many people are just, they're uh, hesitant or they're, they're, uh, fearful of, you know, making that, making that phone call or, or sending that message to, um, somebody like myself or other coaches like myself who are out there doing that because they exist. Um, but yeah, I think it's, it's just become so much around 
popularized opinion of top level athletes that are cross promoting these brands and programs, but it's like, yo, they, they were already a games athlete for four years. Yeah. They left a plant, they left a system because it wasn't working for them. And then they went to, you know, they went to mayhem. Cause I mean, fucking mayhem. <laughs> <laughs> like I get it. Yeah. Uh, but you can't always make the comparison between the athlete. That's a four time perennial games athlete making that switch and having better success. Right. It's okay. Yeah. That, that makes some sense, but they were still a four time perennial games athlete. You're out here trying to, you know, crack the door of quarterfinals. Like, you know, it's just not the same. You're not playing the same game with the same rules yet. So, you know, do your research, dig in, find a, you know, a coach or a system that that's going to be able to kind of help you develop and move the needle in that. And, um, you know, certainly I'm going to be doing a lot more with that in the future. And, um, you know, I'm, couple different opportunities camps and some other rollouts that are that are coming down the the pike here and um you know i'm excited about them as well for that are specifically geared for those type of athletes so um we shall see yeah i think i mean if you're gonna have five thousand ten thousand athletes do your program it's like throwing if you throw five thousand darts at a dartboard you're gonna hit a couple bullseyes and a People are going to, you know, make a ton of progress, go to the games, yep. maybe win the games on an online program. That's going to happen. But yep. the other 4,000 darts are probably going to be way off, and it's, gonna, it's just yeah, yeah, going to yeah. be. And, and again, I mean, that that's exact. I mean, that's such a great example. Um, and what I'm, it's what I'm getting at from the standpoint of, you know, so, sometimes the way I talk about this topic makes it sound like, like, oh, well, like how many people how so then why do so many people have success with mayhem well because it's good you know what i mean like <laughs> i'm not telling you that that um that type of like system that you're following or programming that you're following wouldn't necessarily work or be good that the deal is it comes it comes back to that word development and it comes back to asking yourself if you're leaving money on the table because you might actually not be utilizing your time to the best of your ability because you're you're leaning into the examples of success of that one dart out of 500. You know what I mean? And there's just so many people that buy into that because of the power of social media marketing, messaging, examples, you know? So it's, of course, you want to be like your heroes. You know what I mean? Like everybody wants to be the next Mal O'Brien. Um, and of course you should want to be that. Um, but I mean, you gotta, you gotta understand there, there's, there's a long line of how that transpired that nobody's paying attention to anymore because they only focus on the fact that, you know, Matt Fraser, you know, what I mean? like that's, that's it. The majority of the population is not going to be able to tell you who was working with Mal prior to Matt, who has certainly elevated the game um, for her. You know what I mean? Like I'm not discounting that, but I can tell you, you know what I mean? I can tell you who it was prior to that and prior to that, you know what I mean? And there are two very good coaches um, that did a lot to help guide that process. You know what I mean? So I would say the same thing for a lot of athletes coming through the system. They're getting to a point where they need that type of top-level expertise and guidance, and it shows. But it's it's until you get there. So we can't just jump from, you know, stage two to full-blown games champion. You know what I mean? Like there has to be some middle ground and um, – you know, there's just there's just a lot lost in translation with the development of uh, of athletes that that we just get kind of fooled and and tricked by, you know, what we see on our phones um, to be the best way, right? You just you just have to be evaluating the progress that you're making, 
um, and what it's like, what it's, what it's like to go through that stuff. You know what I mean? Like, is it feasible for you? Is it like, if you're, if you're somebody that's like trying to crack into a quarterfinal, do you think like the level of volume at like an elite, like games athlete type program is probably the best course of action for you? Cause I'm guessing no. You know what I mean? Like, if you're if you're the type of person sitting at home going like, well, if I just had a muscle up, I'd make quarterfinals. Well, do you think following like the games track of whatever you know popularized program is uh, is going to be the best course of action? Like, no, you know, like because guess what? They're going to program muscle ups. You know yeah. what I mean? And so it's uh it's it's a little bit of a just kind of like an ideological battle where. You're just trying to – what I'm trying to do is just try to make more athletes aware of that, right, that there are there are places to go, people, um, you know, systems in place where you can actually uh, access good coaching, good development, um, and take your game to the next stage uh, and, and, and see that progress and build a good relationship with somebody, um, you know, that you know on a personal level along the way, which is super helpful because uh, when you make those stages, that person, that coach uh, is actually going to kind of – be there and help you right if, if you're doing one of the other like systems and you make it to the next stage like you may not have somebody there you know helping you with strategy you may not have somebody there that's got experience around what you're doing or, or has consideration for that you may just be there wearing the t-shirt right and that feels good until everything goes wrong so yeah that's uh that's just the, the most difficult part but i think the most exciting part because like the more that i can make um you know, athletes that, that kind of fall into the category that I'm talking about aware um, of those things, then, you know, it's possible that that's the type of uh, information they needed that they didn't realize was, you know, in existence. And um, it's it's like being on the phone with, uh, you know, you, you have a, an issue, like you get a weird bill in the mail and you call the company and you get a recording on the other end and you have to sit there forever, right? It feels way nicer when a, a human being picks up the phone. Right. And you say, hey, I have this problem. And they say, oh, yeah, you know, we'll take care of that right away for you. And the customer service is fantastic. You know what I mean? It's like, don't don't waste your time sitting on the phone on some, uh, you know, answering machine music um, for too long because you're just going to end up wasting more time than you need. Like find a personalized approach to it. Get get the develop development you need and, uh, you know, leverage the time that you have so that you can actually make that progress and get to the next stage. I always used to chuckle when uh, people left weightlifting coaches and they would go to a team, big team like that, because you see, hey, this person made the Olympics. And it's like, you're not going to get that level of coaching that the Olympian is getting, nor do you deserve that level of coaching. You haven't earned the attention. And I mean... There, yeah, go go out and find coaches who are able to give you that attention because there there's a ton of them. Yep. And you're not. I like how you're not necessarily saying that you're going to be the right coach for everybody. Yeah, but but find yeah. So, yeah, find somebody who's going to actually give you individualized attention. And another thing I was thinking about too, like if you have goals to qualify for the semifinals or qualify for the CrossFit Games, it's not going to be easy. Like you're going to have to seek out people who care and want to get you there if you're if you're like oh i have this huge goal that you know not a lot of people are able to achieve and i'm going to do it by doing what everybody else is doing that's probably not going to happen yeah and that's that's what i mean that the the most difficult part for me um is just kind of like 
like from the outside is watching just like watching so many athletes that are that are working through that you know what i mean and and it's almost like i don't know if they don't know another option exists or if that's just the most cost effective concept for them cuz like i get all of that but at the same time isn't it isn't it just worth a conversation to figure it out because think about it like this right you got uh i'll give you a perfect example a lot of these same athletes that fall in the, the developmental category say uh, i know we're picking on them but let, let's say they're following mayhem and uh they have a gym membership right and their across a gym membership costs them you know a buck 50 and then they're paying $50 a month or whatever it is for mayhem so now you're up to 200 bucks and then they also go see a uh, olympic lifting you know coach and now you, maybe you're up to 350 and like all of a sudden like <laughs> you could you could eliminate like two or, or consolidate like most of those memberships inside of just finding uh and the costs behind those memberships just inside of finding the the personalized approach that I'm talking about and the developmental approach especially with where you are in your game you know so like you may all those things might be super valuable for you, but all of a sudden you're spending $400 a month on four or five different things that you probably need. You probably get good benefit from, but in actuality, you could probably house all of that under one umbrella for right now, um, cut costs down by half. And then as you get better overall at the sport, then you can start to specialize a little bit more in those areas to try to gain that 1% advantage and whatever. Right. So like, you know, I don't, I don't think every developmental athlete needs like a team of like, well, this is my CrossFit coach and this is my weightlifting coach. and This is my nutrition. Like, you know, I want to make those things available for the developmental field, um, and let them fall under one roof. But again, I mean, right now, if, if that's what it is, right. How many people will tell me like, oh man, I can't, I can't afford that. You know I mean? First of all, you haven't even had a conversation with me on what it is. Secondly, um, like, okay, no, you can't, but then you're going to, you got to go to this gym, not to mention the 35 minute drive it is to this other place so you can lift there and then you got to come up you know to see your nutrition and your and your physical therapist and then like across the board all of a sudden you start doing the math and it comes out to you know 500 a month and you're like well shit you could be like sourcing that all in one place and getting 10 times more uh value and coaching back from it and actually seeing the results you want to see um you know probably in a faster fashion <laughs> like um, because you will have that one-to-one relationship and you will have a daily, uh, experience that is based around the exact goal that you're talking about, you know, rather than just, um, bouncing from place to place and feeling like you have to piecemeal this whole thing together on your own because somebody else is going to take it out of your hands and say, look, wake up, eat this, train this way, do it all over again. You know, like that's a way, way more confident approach, uh, to just let the athlete be the athlete, you know, you're, you're. You're in a place where all you all you're interested in, all you want to do is get better and and start working more, uh, making making bigger strides toward the goals that you have, um, so that you can compete on those big stages. You know, you don't you don't need to be overthinking what this is. Like, it's way way easier to wake up, look at what there is to be done, and go crush it. Like, you know. Yeah, I love that. One thing I wanted to ask: um, exceed the standard. Yeah. You always hashtag that on uh, social media. So, what's that mean to you? Yeah, man, exceed the standard is uh, a mantra and uh, a lifestyle, and it's something that I believe in that that I feel like is kind of part of my personal makeup, kind of has been my whole life without even necessarily an acknowledgement of that. I think I've been using that hashtag for well over a year. Um, 
and I'm not exactly, I can't pinpoint exactly the day I, you know, woke up and said, this is what it's going to be. But, um, I do know that uh, I was at a point in my life where, um, you know, I, I was, I was competitive in CrossFit for so long and then I, I moved away from that. Uh, and I started, you know, I opened the gym here and I started being, uh, just a little bit more dedicated to trying to get my business up and running and trying to coach people. And, um, you know, there's been iterations where I've, I've, I've moved away from the the athlete side of things, um, more into the general health side of things. And, um, you know, I've seen it from all angles now. And, um, as I've gone along and get a little bit, uh, older and a little bit wiser, um, a little bit more, you know, honest with myself, I know that for me, the thing that brings me the most enjoyment, um, that I'm the most passionate about that I feel like I was put here to do, um, is to work with athletes. And, uh, you know, that's not a shocker to me because I've always identified as an athlete myself. I, you know, I played every sport imaginable growing up and, uh, riddled inside of all of that was, uh, what I feel like, you know, my strongest attribute is, uh, really just kind of two, two, two part, uh, work ethic, right? So like ridiculous work ethic and then just an ability to endure, you know what I mean? Like just an ability to, uh, ability to, uh, to suffer, to hold on longer than the next person, to, uh, literally just, just overwill the competitor next to me. Um, and, and you name the sport, you know, whether that was me as a football player or me as a, uh, a CrossFitter. And that's kind of where I had success. And that is uh, a, a byproduct of, uh, like a lot of work that goes in, but it's not always like, this is something I say a lot now to the, the athletes that I work with. It's, it's not always, um, the what, it's the how. And, um, you can say that about weaknesses, right? You can identify like, Hey, you need to be stronger. Well, if getting stronger just involved, you know, lifting heavier, uh, then everybody would be a hell of a lot stronger than they are. (laughs) Right. So it's not always uh, about the, what it's about, uh, identifying the how. And, um, so when I think about the how for me and myself and how I go about my business and how I do things, um, as a, as a human being, as a, a gym owner, as a coach, as an a- athlete, as a dad, um, my philosophy is that standards were, were set to be ex- exceeded. And I feel like if you wake up every day with whatever you're trying to accomplish, whatever you're trying to achieve, um, and you approach that with an exceed the standard mindset, um, it's going to be something that continually sets you up for success and I guess when you start to strip that down what that means is put the extra reps in take the extra time um, be willing to endure longer than the person next to you be willing to lead from the front Um, you know you can really attach that mantra to a lot of different scenarios Um, and for me it came at a time in my life where I needed that because I had let so much of that, that part of myself go, right? Like, uh, not, not that I like diminished it, but I just, I didn't feel, um, associated with it anymore. Right. I was kind of letting myself, I was a little out of shape. I was letting myself go. Um, you know, I think just things that, that were part of my business, things that were part of my life that just weren't, you know, I wasn't holding myself to that type of standard anymore. Maybe I was getting comfortable. Um, and so, you know, I know a couple of things for certain. One, if uh, if you want to have, 
if you want to be great, you got to be uncomfortable. Um, and I think that if you're willing to acknowledge the standard for what greatness demands and go about everything in your life on a daily basis to exceed that, um, you're going to end up in a good spot. In, and uh, if I can, if I can uh, impart that to others for not just CrossFit athletes, but everybody that, that pays attention, that follows along, um, and I can express that mentality to them, you know, it's not just about being a hardo, you know what I mean? It's not like, wake up, exceed the standard. You know, there's a lot of that shit out there. But really think about it, you know. Um, and I do think that it, 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 it is something probably I heard um, or, or put together on my own because of, uh, maybe some, maybe some relation to, uh, special forces podcast or something that I was listening to. I don't think they said it directly, but I think it was something like, uh, you know, standards are standards exist to be exceeded. Mm -hmm. You know, I think that was like the key point for me was a, a, a re-recognition of, of who I was and, and my approach to everything that, that led me to that moment thus, thus, you know, far in my life. So, um, there's a big part of that in, that goes into how I program. There's a big part of that that goes into how I train. Um, and believing that we're going to do everything to the best of our ability. We're going to try to make circumstances as bad for ourselves as possible. So that when we get to competition, um, you know, we didn't leave anything to, to chance or, uh, to be unexpected. And hopefully, hopefully competing feels easier than training. And, um, just ultimately overall everything um you know if you can wake up every morning with the approach that you're going to give everything you have to exceeding the standard of of life that that you hope to you know live and you go to bed at night every night knowing that you gave everything you had to that i feel like you're going to be fulfilled so that's the uh that's the mantra you know i think uh that's the the brand behind a, a little bit of how I approach the game and um, I expect that of, of my athletes and I expect that of myself so that I can uh, set the, set the stage for them, set the example. And really anybody that pays attention to that, I, I hope that, um, you know, as basic as that is that somebody out there is reading that hashtag every week and, you know, getting on board with that, with that mindset. And it, it's little things, you know, it's just taking back control of, um, you know, things that, that you feel like aren't, aren't in control of, like your fitness or, or eating better or, you know, going out and setting a big goal for yourself or, um, taking the next step in, uh, in a, in a goal you've had for years or, um, just getting up and, and working out before your kids wake up, you know what I mean? Yeah. So, um, those things all ring true to me now. So I've got a totally different perspective at 35 than I did at 25, um, but that, that the fact still remains that, um, there's only one way to get it, you know what I mean? And, and, uh, no matter how you try to, to get around it, it's going to take everything you got and it's going to take, uh, and exceed the standard mentality. So that's my thing. I love that for, uh, for any athletes who are, you know, listening to this and thinking they need to exceed the standard in their own life, where can they go to, uh, find you or work with you as a coach? Yeah. So, uh, check me out on. Instagram at Cody Leffler, C O D Y L O E F F L E R. Um, I post a lot of things on there, content wise and coaching wise, and 
trying to stay active in my stories around uh, just like various education pieces, things things like we, we talked about today. Um, and I showcase a lot of the athletes that I work with regularly there. Um, you can also, um, you know, you can visit my gym website. That's mainlinegym.com. Um, and you can email me directly if you choose to do that. That's uh, leffler.cody at gmail.com or cody at mainlinegym.com. Uh, those are all places we can connect. Um, and I really, really look forward to anybody uh, who has interest in doing that. If if, uh, if you feel like this is ringing true with you, um, please don't hesitate. I'd love to have a conversation.